Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is, is a Soul Fire, Fire production. production. Good morning. Good morning. So is it always morning when we record? I guess it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Better light. Yeah. Busy week. I've um, seen a lot of you this week. Yeah. Why have you seen? <laughs> uh, because we've been doing some editing and and stuff like that. And what else did we do? Why did I come by the other day? <laughs> you. We were supposed oh, to record. Do, do some more editing, but I forgot my computer. You forgot your computer. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Can't edit without the editing machine. Well, also, we, we have a, a microphone that works better, so you guys can hear us Oh, better. that's correct. That so was why we couldn't do it. Recording, yeah. It's right. Good thing. good thing that you're around, because you're like my brain. <laughs> that's dangerous, because my brain is not that great either. Yeah. Well, we're having really great weather in Southern California. Yeah. So I, I got uh, I got noticed of jury duty. What do you do when you get I'm gonna I'm going to do it. You are? I know that I'll, they'll never, no, no lawyer will ever pick me. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't, I don't really worry about that at all because, but I, I, I sort of want to do it right now. The world is so upside down that I sort of want to bring my Dr. Stu variation. Yeah. Variation on common sense mm-hmm. to the courtroom. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to try to get out of it. Right. And worst case scenario is that, uh, you know, I mean, I don't have a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. during the week that I'm supposed to be on and it's not like I have to go and you call every night before you know how we do it in LA county you call the night before and if you don't they don't need you you don't have to show up oh, cool. and if you show up the next day and they don't use you you're done mm-hmm. but you have to do that five days in a row yeah. so but the courts are back open again of course you have to go downtown yeah yeah I've been down there a couple times to the court yeah me too unfortunately (laughs) is there a fortunate reason to go to the courthouse not really i don't think so no not unless you know you're going to win a lawsuit or something maybe no maybe you're filing some uh like some good papers like you know deeds or something like that but other than that yeah you want to avoid it i mean it's it's not it's not a place where there's good energy no no it's it's it's, it's, but i'm going to bring some uh some Dr. Stu humor into the courtroom. Good. Here. I would love to get voidiered by some attorney. What is that like cross exam? Voidiered is when they interview you to see if they want you on the jury and they go, I'll take that guy. Have you ever seen my cousin Vinny? Yeah. Yeah, that sort of thing. <laughs> They're not yeah. like my cousin Vinny. <laughs> no, I'll take that guy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, okay. So I did have a bird. Oh, let's hear. Yeah. So um I, I haven't had one, so go. So this was uh, interesting. She was a a second time mom, had her first in a hospital, decided that she wanted to have something different for her second birth, which I think happens a lot in my care. And um, she's one of those type A personalities, very organized. You should have seen her list of like the birth supplies. She had like highlighted stars. It was funny. Kim and I were color coded. Color coded. I mean, just she's awesome. She's great. And um, her older son is five and super smart. And her husband was really involved. And everybody was really looking forward to like participating in the birth and labor. Um, and she had sent me a message around noon that day and, um, and said she was having contractions about five minutes apart, but they were not strong and she could still talk through them. She was still kind of going about her day. And so daytime multip, sometimes you have, you know, several stop start contractions. Right. So I said, okay, great. Why don't you like, you know, have something to eat, take a nice Epsom salt bath, see if you can rest. I'll probably see you later today. She had a she had a doula on board, and um, so I was kind of just doing my day, and I was going to check back in with her to see if I should just head over the hill and kind of do my daily walk over there. And her doula texted me and said, um, "Seems like things are happening. I'm heading over." And I said, "When will you be there?" She said, "15 minutes." And so I just, I you know, usually I say to the doula like, "Let me know how it is when you get there," but this is a multip, and so I said, I texted the dad and I said, Hey, any show? Are you, is she having any bloody show? And he's like, no, no show. I said, how far apart are the contractions? 
I can see where this is going. Uh -huh. <laughs> How far apart are the contractions? He said, a minute apart. And I was like, I'm heading over. So I got in my car immediately and started to go down the 405 towards them, which normally would be a 15 minute drive to their house. <laughs> Middle of a Saturday, it was gonna take me 26 minutes to get there. So I, I text the doula and I said, hey, the contractions are a minute apart. Oh, and then the dad followed up with a text a few minutes later when I was getting in my car saying, the baby's gonna come soon. And so I said, he says the baby's coming soon. I just want you to know, cause I wanted her to know she might be coming in just the baby, right? And so I'm driving down the 405, probably five or 10 minutes into my drive. And I get a call from the doula and she says, Bliss, I'm going to be catching this baby. I want you to walk me through it. And I was like, okay. And then there I am like trying to keep everybody calm, which they were, they were all doing a great job, but you know, like everybody's fine. Everybody's doing okay. Everybody take a breath, you know? And, um, so I, park the car. I think I could hear the head born as I'm parking the car and I go up and the door is locked. Yep. And so I'm standing outside the door when the baby is born. I'm like, okay, well, I'm at the door when everything feels stable, someone can come down and open the door. Um, and so it was awesome. I got up there and um, the doula looks at me and she goes, I just want you to know I read I registered for midwifery school. And I was like, oh, that's why you just caught your first baby because she's going to become it was a midwife. In the air. Yes, it yes. was for her. But never lock your door when you're in labor. Never lock your door. <laughs> <laughs> we had that happen. We had that happen once before too. Where I was doing a water birth in the back of a house. And for some reason, I think the husband locked the door and, and Beth and the, and the student were, were oh, outside yeah. pounding on the door and we couldn't hear him they had music on in the house yeah. and we couldn't hear them and they missed the whole birth because they were sitting on the front step trying to get in so uh Let yeah your birth team in yeah don't lock the door yeah but it was beautiful and you know i saw her yesterday for her first postpartum and i said you know how are you feeling about your birth now that you have a little bit of space she said i feel so proud of myself which baby was this second second baby and i was like okay. yes it had to be a second or, or beyond so from the time the doula let me know that they asked her to come to baby being born was 45 minutes. Right. So, yeah. So that is called a? Precipitous delivery. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you are so smart. I'm being tested. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so we have, we, have a, we have a guest today, which we're going to get to in just a second, which is a, a thing we're going to start with the uh, Birthing Instincts podcast now is yeah, maybe once a, once a month or so we're going to have, a, I mean, if we have great guests, we maybe we'll do it more often. But it really cuts into our chatting time. And, and we have so much to we, say. We do. So I just want to read a fun letter first. I had another letter that that that's going to fit into my dumb doctor dogma segment, mm -hmm. but I think I'll save it till after we're done talking to our guests today. Okay? okay. Okay. So this is a letter from Dessa and Deb. He says, Dearest and best Dr. Stu. <laughs> just that alone would want to make me read the letter out loud. Uh, my midwife friend and I are on our way to a birth. It's about 8 p.m. and we are thinking about where in the birth process our client will be when we arrive at her house. Will she be moving quickly or will we be settling in for the night to be awakened when needed? This led us to think about your modus operandi at births. You often comment about being on the couch with your headphones on until needed. We would like to know what is playing in your headphones this is awesome. when you are at birth. Isn't that a great, isn't that a great yeah, thing? Love it. So um, I will just tell you that what I listen to generally when I'm at a birth, it's things that keep me calm. And I listen to classical music, but I listen to contemporary classical music. And the best contemporary classical music of the day is written by... Um, in your humble opinion? No, it's, it's, yeah, well, I guess everything I say is in my opinion, isn't right. it? Right, yeah. Um, is written by, uh, is written for movies. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah. the soundtracks of yeah. movies. Yeah. It's the great composers like Hans Zimmer, John Williams, uh, John Barry, Rupert Gregson Williams, Harry Gregson Williams, uh, Fernando Vasquez, uh, the guy from, uh, from uh, Jamin Dawawi from uh, Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. um, these are the things that I listen to because they take me to places or keep me calm. Yeah. I don't want to listen to anything that's loud. And I really don't want to listen to a podcast or anything like that while I'm at a birth. So yeah. it gets me in the right mood. So that's what I do. Plus, I can either fall asleep or I can just meditate. Yeah. And, uh, and it works can. great. So she says, P.S. You are great. <laughs> she says. So I have that. I'm so glad you do what you do. My first baby was a vaginal breech birth. So normalizing vaginal breaches and twins is close to my heart, and your work is an encouragement to me. I love the podcast. I hope you get the bugs worked out of your technical issues soon. So again, if you're, if you're hearing us now, 
the technical issues have been worked out. Anyway, thank you so much, Nessa, for that. Uh, okay, so I want to bring in our guest today. Um, this is Eva Thies. Eva is a photographer. Hi, Eva. A seeker of new things and a mother of two boys. Hi. <laughs> Hi, welcome to the Birthing Instincts podcast. And Thank you so much for putting me on. <laughs> I wanted to bring you on because, well, I wanted to bring you on for, for a while, but we kept missing and, and then we had technical problems. And so I'm glad we're back. And I want to, because your story is remarkable and unique. And uh, so I want to, I, I want you to just, uh, we can go wherever you want to go with this, but I will just mention that, that uh, Eva has, her first child had hemophilia A. And I think for people who are not well-versed in, in the technical aspects, just to d quickly describe hemophilia. Yeah. Would be I will do. Yeah. Okay. Hi. <laughs> okay, so um, yeah, looking at everything, um, I I was going through my mental notes, uh, and it was there's just so many things that came together in my first, and then my second birth as well. I didn't even realize, um, and now looking back, it's just pretty crazy. Um, so my uh, I could start with that I have uh, mild hemophilia A. It's inherited. Um, it runs in my family, so I knew since I was little, I was a little girl that. If I ever was pregnant later on, I would have to test that if, um, you know, my son, if I have a son that he would have it as well. Uh, so the thing is hemophilia has a ble uh, bleeding disorder. Um, he has hemophilia A, which means he's missing factor eight. Um, so uh, with his severity, basically, if he gets a cut or has a bleed somewhere, it doesn't stop bleeding. It doesn't clot. Um, let, me just, let me just say for, for our listeners that that. The reason you say you have mild hemophilia is because it's an X-linked recessive trait. So Correct. you as a woman have two X chromosomes. So one of your X chromosomes is normal and one of them is missing or is carrying the hemophilia A gene. Exactly. Which means that half of all your offspring will, get, will inherit the, the, the X chromosome that has the problem, right? Could, and, yeah. And since boys only get the X chromosome from their mother, hemophilia really only affects, true on hemophilia only affects boys. Exactly. And, and it's famous for because it affected the Russian um, royal family back in the 18th, 19th century. So um, that's where it, people have heard about it. That's sort of where it became more well known. Yeah, so um, when I got first pregnant um, with my firstborn, Rocco, um, and I got tested, I had the MI, NIPT test, uh, found out he was a boy first I was devastated <laughs> because that meant the whole cascade of what would come next uh, was kind of dawning on me and um, so I decided to do get an amniocentesis um, at the first time around uh, to test um, to get a genetic test to see if he had actually inherited hemophilia from me and lo and behold he did um, so obviously that was devastating again um, but I got used to it. I made peace with it. And um, so the, and in the end, I, I actually, oh no, <laughs> let's start backtrack a little bit. So pregnancy was going okay. I had, I developed gestational diabetes, uh, diabetes, um, which was okay, manageable um, with diet and a little bit of insulin. And then towards the end, unfortunately, I found out that Rocco was breech. And um, I, <laughs> I did everything, seriously, everything that's out there, uh, spinning babies, moxie, acupuncture, everything, nothing would, was happening. Yeah. Um, so I actually um, got in contact with Dr. Stu that back then already, um, but also was trying to find out with his hemophilia condition if actually I had a chance of him or, or breach vaginal birth. So after talking to a lot of doctors and, and uh, hematologists, I came to the conclusion that it was not a good idea to try um, for breech vaginal birth um, due to the bleeding um, condition and yeah, not knowing what might happen if it just gets, I don't know, if there's if there are complications. So I opted for or opted. I was, you know, I had to, I just need, I figured out that I needed to have a C-section but due to my hemophilia status, and um, I had to have a general anesthesia C-section, not, you know, I couldn't have a epidural. Um, 
So I always knew it was either general anesthesia, full anesthesia, C-section, or all natural birth. <laughs> there was no middle ground, basically, for me. And then, you know, it turned out to be the C-section. So let me ask a question. If if you had, if they had given you factor eight in labor, would the anesthesiologist still not want to put a spinal or an epidural in you? Is that just the... Is that because they're overly cautious or is there data to support that position? I'm not sure if there is any data. And when I talked to my hematologist now for the second time, she was a little surprised. But somehow with the first pregnancy and with a C-section, um, it was just like generally I was told no epidural. I did talk to a hematologist there uh, at the hospital and I was told not to get an epidural bed because of, yeah, they could be with the puncturing, you know, like it's too risky for me. And I was okay with that. Um, I didn't want to take the risk. And um, so, yeah, we went for the C-section. Uh, then also due to the gestational diabetes, uh, I was told I should have a C-section at 37 weeks uh, or 38 um, because obviously they were, everyone was afraid he was going to be too large. And uh, fortunately, my OB uh, was on vacation. So she, for two weeks. Fortunately. So, <laughs> so I was lucky and they let me go to 40 weeks and three days to have to schedule for the C-section. Interesting. So um, that was a- they allow was, Daniel in the room or because general, he wasn't even in there? Exactly. He wasn't allowed. Uh, no one, nobody was allowed that. This was uh, pre-COVID, but he wasn't allowed due to the general anesthesia, which I, I don't really still understand why general anesthesia doesn't allow people, but then the epidural allows people in. Um, so, that, that's, I mean, <laughs> that's, you know, that's why you're on the show. Because <laughs> you, you ask questions, you ask yeah. questions, right. So the C-section went well, um, medically speaking. I healed very well afterwards. I just remember waking up to a screaming baby and uh, it was just crazy because before I had this beautiful pregnancy, I was really calm. Um, and then all of a sudden I fall asleep and I wake up to a screaming baby and it was such, and then since then it was uh, just downhill for me. And um, I had mentioned before, um, after my first pregnancy, I had really, really horrible postpartum depression. Um, for seven months uh, roundabout, I didn't even really realize what was going on with me. I, I couldn't, um, I didn't have this, I, I don't, didn't understand why everyone was talking to me about, oh my God, the baby is so cute. And uh, aren't you totally in love? Isn't this the best thing ever happened to me? And all I could think was, no, it's the worst thing that has ever happened to me in my life. And I, I was just crying every day for months and months and months um, until I finally realized what was going on then. And it was not normal what I was feeling and um, started seeking for help. And um, it all, yeah, got resolved. I actually, I don't know if I should mention, I uh, uh, ended up having ketamine IV therapy mm -hmm. at the ketamine clinics here in uh, L.A., which helped so much. And uh, I cannot recommend this enough um, as an option because I didn't want to take antidepressants and go that whole route. So that really helped me get out of the darkest um, I've ever been and um, to be able to help myself and to, to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And um, so, yeah, that was my first pregnancy. Um, wow. Wow. And um, when I became pregnant uh, the second time, I really wanted, I had this feeling that I wanted a do-over and um, this time somehow have something that um, would feel positive and um, different from what I had experienced before. So um, it was, I had wanted a home birth with the first and obviously it didn't work out. So I contacted Dr. Stu again this time. Um, and uh, started planning um, the home birth. Yeah. And, uh, and so we were planning to have a home be back. And uh, we had, during the pregnancy, we had consulted with your hematologist. We had everything lined up. Oh, you made a decision not to do something with. Tell us about yes. that. So um, with the second, first pregnancy, I did the amniocentesis to find out if um, my first son had hemophilia, inherited hemophilia. And with the second one, somehow it didn't feel right. Um, I didn't feel it was the right thing to do. And I also was confident enough that 
whatever the outcome would be, if he had it or not, that I would be okay with it. Um, so I decided not to do the amnio. Um, however, that, of course, um, brought in some factors like not knowing his um, status meant that we had to be extra cautious or just make sure that everything was in place just in case he has it and act like a baby that has hemophilia, basically. Yeah, we did Which find means, out what we did know it was a boy. Yeah. We, oh, yeah, right. And we did know that. And we and and we went through the literature and there's actually really pretty much good data universally accepted that there's really no benefit to a cesarean section for a vertex baby with hemophilia. So breach is different because of the potential of Bruise, There's to, bruising yeah. and the, the soft tissues and the bruising. I guess, you know, I don't know that there's any data on breaches with hemophilia. I mean, I, we didn't even get to that point yeah. with the first pregnancy. Yeah. And I'm not sure what we would have done this time either. I probably would have had to dig deep to find out, fortunately, this baby was head down. Was head down. Yeah. Was head down. Um, uh, so we were able to, after talking to the children's, you know, or the pediatric hematologist, he said it's fine because most women actually don't know either that they have hemophilia or that their child has hemophilia. So, so many babies are born with hemophilia, normal, vaginally, and not, it, it's all fine. Well, and he wasn't time, worried. When I, when I was early in my residency program and stuff like that, a lot of times we found out that it was discovered uh, that the baby had hemophilia when the baby had a circumcision. Exactly. And it didn't it stop just wouldn't bleeding. stop bleeding. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So what about, what about gestational diabetes in this pregnancy? Did you have So this time I didn't have gestational diabetes. I didn't develop it. Uh, I, it was kind of borderline, but it was nothing where I had to be careful or so it was completely out of the question of, you know, it was nothing. Um so that was fine. And um with the hemophilia, if the baby has hemophilia status or we had to act like the baby, uh, my second son had hemophilia, it means uh, no forceps, no uh, no vacuum. Uh, and then obviously also we we don't do the we didn't do the circumcision. Um, and so, um, yeah, so I didn't decided not to do the amniocentesis. Uh, I was feeling super healthy. I was it was great. Nothing like I. Uh, not like over like terrible weight gain no water retention nothing um so i was feeling so confident and so well um and at uh, 41 weeks so i was overdue and quote yeah, unquote yeah, i mean we had our home visit with the whole team mm -hmm. and yeah you know, we were all set she had her birth kit she had everything <laughs> ready to go and then so excited yeah so at 41 weeks, I was like, well, I was kind of obviously getting anxious like every mom I, or every pregnant uh, woman out there. Um, but also I was starting to have some headaches and I was feeling really tired and kind of like I was sick or I had like a cold or flu or something. And now I thought, well, you know, it's just because I'm, you know, I'm like 41 weeks pregnant. I'm sure that's normal. Um but then I somehow, I had this feeling, I had this gut feeling and I, I contacted Dr. Stu and was telling him I had headaches for two week, uh, two days. Um, is that anything I should be worried about? So he actually asked me about my blood pressure and uh, I had no idea, but um, I felt I just shouldn't wait. And I went to, it was in the evening, I went to a um, drugstore a pharmacy and, and bought a blood pressure monitor just to be sure because I was getting somehow I was getting worried I had this feeling the before the week before in the office your blood pressure had been up a bit if oh yeah right right at so weeks. I must say my my blood pressure always had been like on the low end and really really healthy so I wasn't worried at all about the blood pressure but then when I checked at home I was so surprised that it was high I think it was like at 145 over 90 or something that evening so um Dr. Sue told me to uh, wait <laughs> and uh, I think drink some magnesia and magnesia at home, drink some magnesia and wait for four hours. So I checked again around midnight and that's when I saw that nothing had changed. Um, after even sleeping for three hours, it was still really high. So that's when we had the talk. Um, we got on the phone, talked on the phone um, in the middle of the night and he told me to, that I should consider going to the hospital. And of course, that like I just started crying because I I knew you know this it, it, I don't think I'm gonna have my home birth at that moment. Yeah. Um, 
so he I know that this isn't about the birth team and all that too but we were crying also oh yeah you had come so far <laughs> right yeah right. so close we could, there's nothing you know if she has preeclampsia and it potentially is severe with a headache you can't be messing around with that nope right nope. yeah so yeah, Dr. Stu helped me a lot. He he like called around the hospitals trying to find the best hospital for me because I still really, really wanted to have my V back and yeah. natural if possible. So um, he figured out uh, where a few places uh, as options where he thought it would be, I would you know, in, be in good hands of, um, my, for my wishes. And uh, I ended up going to Dignity Health uh, um, California Hospital in downtown Los Angeles. And um, went there and... Uh, it wasn't your local hospital and it wasn't, but it was where, you know, there were there were two guys that I, I knew that potentially could give her the birth that she wanted. One wasn't available, I think, or wasn't on call that night or something like that. And the so then I called the other one and I can mention his name because he's okay. going to get high praise from us. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Pickett at California Hospital. Great. And you can you can go ahead and tell us a little bit about so I just want people to know that that oh a few months back many 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 months back I don't know how how old is Arlo now by the way uh, two and a half months almost three yeah that's all <laughs> me I, it's I, been wow, three it's months yeah. it seems like it was wait how old is Arlo now three months he's only three months old God it seems like this was long ago because we did a podcast which I call the uh, there's no powering yes mm-hmm. and I, I I talked a little bit about your birth tangentially about how you, you know, everyone kept saying, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do this. And no, you can't do that. So why don't you tell us a little bit? So we did decide to go to California hospital. Of course, yeah. it's time of COVID. So no, none of the team can go with her. But your husband could? My husband couldn't either. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, plus, we have a we have a two-year-old at home. Uh, and we don't have any family around here in LA. We're by ourselves. Um, so I had to go drive myself, basically, or I took a car um, to go to the hospital by myself, really quickly packed my bags, and um, was there in the middle of the night. It was like 1 a.m. And I was admitted. Uh, it took some time. Um, it actually took a few hours until I was able to meet Dr. Pickett. Um, but I knew he was coming. And uh, when I saw him, I told him, I really, really want to have a VBAC. Um, and I don't want to be induced if possible. Please, please try to make this happen for me. And it was incredible. He heard me once say this once. And then afterwards, it was t- completely out of question. I mean, he did first when I came in, we were talking about induction. And, and he, then, you know, I told him my wishes. And then afterwards, he never mentioned it again. Every nurse that I saw knew that I wanted to have a natural VBAC birth, and um, that was it. So although I was really sad, and as the night went along, they checked, rechecked my blood pressure over and over again. It was kind of going up and down. I was, I was really like at the verge. Um, they, they did check my urine, and um, it did, everything came back as mild preeclampsia. So after talking to Dr. Stu back and forth, it was the question, do I, you know, do I risk it? Do I go back home? Do we try? And then with the risk of maybe having even worse blood pressure and having to go back to the hospital and then having an emergency. Um, but I felt in the end, I felt so well cared for us at the hospital that I did um, make the decision of staying there. And um, Dr. Pickett really was such a big uh, help in making this decision and um, still feeling, you know, that I wasn't pressured into anything, but I, that I did, I felt positive and in good hands being there and that it was the right thing to do. Um, so yeah. That, so just in a, in a nutshell, sort of summarize, how do they, if you weren't going to be induced, what do yeah. they, what do they do to get you into labor? And obviously you didn't have an epidural. Yes. So, okay. so let's hear about I, hear a little bit about that, and then and then about where you had to struggle a little bit with people telling you you should do this or you should do that, and you said I'm not doing that. So, so when I came in uh, the first, then when I uh, de- saw Doctor Pickett the first time, he checked me. I was at three and a half centimeters, which I was surprised about uh, because I it didn't seem like I had any contractions before. Like it was <laughs> there was no signs at all, um, and. So when he checked me, and then while he checked me, we did a he did a membrane sweep. So his idea was to do um, one, possibly two membrane sweeps, and see where I was going, and hopefully that that would get things uh, going. 
And um, so we did that. And I, I stayed in bed um, for the rest of the night. Uh, and the next day, checked again. We did another membrane sweep. Um, I was still, I think, at the same, like three and a half, four centimeters or so. And um, I still didn't really have any contraction or like bad contractions. And I, or I thought I didn't have any contractions. And once they put me on the monitor, um, I saw, oh, I guess that was a contraction. <laughs> so the thing is, I, have been, um, I had been uh, doing hypnobabies, uh, hypnosis for the past four months. Um, so I think that was helping me a lot. Uh, I was, I was, I was kind of in hypnosis uh, most of the time while I was at the hospital and then self hypnosis. Um, and then my husband still wasn't there, or actually he came in the afternoon for like an hour or so. Um, obviously, I couldn't have a doula there with me the whole time. Um, and uh, the contractions. We're getting closer, but not too bad. And my husband went back home. He uh, put our, our older son to bed and we had a babysitter come in um, to take over. Uh, so, uh, and then while he was gone gone for those two hours, um, I was in contact with my doula as well. And uh, they had checked me. I was at five centimeters then. Um, my start, I started having contractions and about like every 10th contractions or so was like pretty, pretty strong, but it was still manageable. I was just by myself in bedroom, uh, just laying on the bed and kind of waiting. And um, so at some point I told my doula, I think you should come <laughs> soon. It's, it's getting closer. I'm still able to manage, but I think it will be okay. It would be good if you come um, because she was only allowed to come for the birth, not like long time before. So I had to kind of uh, uh, see when to invite her. Yeah, yeah, the idea, um, like, how do they know when, when yeah. they're to come? I mean, yeah. it's like, if she can come for two hours, why can't she come for four hours or five hours? Is, yeah. Is, is it too many molecules being breathed out of her mouth? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. yeah, it's, again. It's the, silly. Yeah, it's like, it's like wet sand, dry sand, six feet. You know, yeah. they, these are all made up, made up numbers, but. Anyway, I don't want to um, from the story. So, so it was in anyway. the evening that uh, nurses had just uh, done a shift change. And uh, so they checked. I was at five centimeters. Everybody thought, oh, it will happen at some point at night. It will, it will, we still have hours to go. Um, and due to my condition and due to the unknown hemophilia condition of my son, we had to do quite a few precautions. I had to have factor eight level from uh, factor eight um, med replacement medicine for me ready. Uh, they were supposed to give it to me when I go into birth. Uh, and the other thing, TXA is called, um, also give to me when I go into labor. Um, and it was very, the nurses were kind of, uh, they didn't really know what was going on. I wanted to do delayed cord clamping. I wanted to get some, to get some cord blood um, for the cord blood banking. So there were a bunch of things that uh, were on the list of what to do, which we had planned to do in the whole birth. And, you know, it seemed like, oh, it's just a few things we need to get done, but it's all fine. In the hospital setting, it was different. Um, so actually, when after they had checked me, like 10 minutes after I called the doula, I started having quite contractions. Uh, my husband, Daniel, came uh, back to the hospital and at that point, I had five contractions, and all of a sudden, I feel a pop. And I was like, what's going on? And Daniel looks down, and the half of the head was already out. <laughs> Without anything had really had, had happened yet. I mean, it was contractions, but not really that bad. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> he's, he's coming. <laughs> and then Daniel's, uh, Daniel uh, went to the nurses and, and told them, we think the baby, or the baby is about to come out. And then that's when all mayhem broke out. Yeah. Everybody, everybody got so stressed out. Dr. Pickett was nowhere to be found. He was, he was probably somewhere else attending to someone else's birth. Um, so, and then it was new nurses because they had just changed the shift not long ago. Uh, they weren't really sure what to do with all the medication and stuff for me uh, and what had to be done and which, uh, which uh, uh, you know, following what. And then they just grabbed a random doctor who was on the hallway, basically, to come there. I, I was suddenly, you know, in this delirious state. Um, and uh, it was, it, it went, everything went really quickly, but I just remember everyone screaming around me. And it was just so crazy because it was, you know, he was already half out. Um, and then I hear that, I see this random doctor. And, but the thing, so the, how it 
started then with the pushings. It was that two nurses came in, they screamed at me, they pulled me to the, I was lying on, laying on the side because it was the most comfortable and I felt really relaxed in it. And they moved me to my back or held my hands and my legs. I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And uh, they told me, you have to be on your back. I was like, no, I'm not going on my back. It hurts. It's hurting. And, you, you know, have to be on your back. Don't you, don't you know that all, all mammals work flat just, on their Don't just you leave me on my won't come out <laughs> halfway just out. leave me on the side. And they were like, no, we can't have you on your side. You have to be on my back. It's like, no. And I started screaming, no, 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 please let me, let me, let me, I don't know, move and get up on, or at least let me have it be on the side because it was really comfortable and I felt relaxed. And they were like, no, 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 you can't do that. And then the doctor came um, and uh, he also, I screamed at him, like, I let me, you know, don't let me, let me get off my back. It's hurting. It's not working. And then he just, everyone started screaming at me, push, push, push. I was like, what is going on? And um, so I felt really uncomfortable being on my back and they started uh, screaming at me pushing. And, uh, but I felt, I knew like I didn't have to push because the baby was just coming by itself. But obviously in the, in the, in the position I was at, it wasn't working. And, and then it started, he, they were, or the doctor was saying, you have to, you have to hold your breath, hold your breath and push. And I didn't feel like holding my breath. And then, you know, I kind of just gave up because it was like, it's just, uh, we're just five minutes away. It's like, I'm just gonna, you know, give up and just do what they want me to do because I'm, it's, it, you know, it's, it's going to be over in a few minutes and then it's going to be fine. So I ended up pushing, holding my breath and pushing really hard. It was so, I mean, it, it, it was so uncomfortable and it was so unnecessarily uncomfortable. Um, but it was over, like I said, I had like 30 minutes of, of contractions and then the pushing was like five minutes, uh, five or 10 minutes at most. Uh, and then the baby came out and um, it was really great. I mean, I was so happy that it was such an easy birth in a sense. It went so quickly and um, I was able to give, him, give birth naturally. Yes. <laughs> comment that, that in my experience and the experience of other doctors that I know, that I trust, um, people with preeclampsia, their their labors, whether it's induction or spontaneous, tend to go quicker. Yeah. It's oh, almost, interesting. Almost as if the body knows. Correct. Mm -hmm. Ah, that's so, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. This is a this is not, I mean, it's it's not the norm, but it's certainly not unusual to see it go like a two-hour active, less than two hours. I mean, yeah. Right. So I mean that I mean, and it's great. And it's a blessing, it was a blessing for you. Exactly. And again, um, Daniel did get to be there at least. So that was good. Yeah. So my husband barely made it. <laughs> the, oh yeah. My doula came while the, while I was pushing uh, and uh, she, she saw him come out, but it was really in the last two minutes of the, him coming out that my doula made it. <laughs> they left what the So she could make it for the delivery. Unlike my Oh story. yeah. Oh yeah. 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 She, <laughs> yeah. Bliss got locked out of a birth the other night. I would have so. made it exactly. for delivery probably. Um, and how did you, how was the experience of having your baby right after in your arms? It was, it was really great. Um, it was beautiful. However, I was so sad that I felt that I couldn't really be there. I, I wanted to see more, you know, I really wanted to feel it happen. Uh, and, but the, this felt like I was just closing my eyes and pushing and then just blending everything out um, to, uh, to just go through it. But how, but like I said, it was just five to 10 minutes of that bad experience that, um, you know, I, I, I was fine. Um, and, and you told me that, that they never did give you mag sulfate. Uh, no, for the blood for the blood pressure, no. I yeah, never so got really received anything. That she had this mild preeclampsia, and she went labored like a preeclamptic. She went really fast, but the hospital, even because of Doctor Pickett, was not this knee jerk preeclampsia. Oh, you've got to be on mag. You've got to be on mag exactly. four hours after the delivery. You know, in a in an observation unit or something like that. They were able to give her. This is so. There, this was a story of whether, even though it got really crazy and sort of nasty at the end. Um, it was a story of, of good collaboration because we had a good understanding physician. Totally. Yeah. It's, it was never mentioned actually. Um, obviously he did say we have to monitor, but I was just being, you know, they were checking my blood pressure once an hour or so. 
um, but never was mentioned that I had to um, get on the, the medication for the blood pressure. Um, oh, and then also uh, I should mention that all the nurses all throughout the day, they tried everything um, to, to help me uh, move my labor along uh, without doing any induction. Um, one of the nurses, she actually researched all the spinning baby's positions and came, back, came to me every half an hour and put me into a new position. Um, I was brought essential oils uh, to sniff on Clary Sage and uh, things like that. Um, and yeah, doing nipple stimulation uh, and thing, all, you know, they told me about everything that I should do. Um, so I was working on that all day long and then, you know, had the birth in the evening. Um, so that was incredible that everybody knew and understood what my wishes were and uh, also never mentioned them to me um, with the uh, induction or telling me, oh, if you, you're not, you know, uh, if you're not ready by midnight tonight, we have to induce it. Nobody ever said anything like that, which was incredible. And that's why I felt so safe and so well cared for all day long, um, which also, I think, helped to just, you know, get ready for it. Yeah, I hope other doctors and hospitals... I'm not sure we have a lot of listening doctors to our podcast, but <laughs> I hope the word gets out that this can be done, that you can support people, you know, and even though it got, like I said, it got a little crazy at the end there where they weren't going to let you deliver in the position that you wanted to. And they were trying to coach you to push when they really didn't need to. I mean, you'd already gotten the baby half out, just, you know, breathing. So yeah, yeah the baby would have come out, but you still were able to do something which in certain institutions and stuff would violate every algorithm and every protocol they have, and they wouldn't know what to do with themselves. It would be, it would be like, there's a, there's a scene, I've mentioned it before, but there's a scene in the movie um, Bugs Life, the very beginning of Bugs Life. If you remember the movie, I don't know if you've seen the movie, but yeah, a while ago. All the ants are carrying an offering to this pile for the grasshoppers. They're, they're going along and all of a sudden this leaf falls off the tree and you see it floating down, floating down. And it falls in front of the, right in the line of ants. And the ants behind the leaf are in complete panic because they don't know what to do because there's a leaf in the way. And one ant finally climbs up on a rock and he looks at them and goes, calm down, we'll go around the leaf. And they do it. Okay. And they figure it out. And they realize that, you know, that just because something changed or something, somebody has a wish that they that is different from their, their institution's protocols or their experience that they don't necessarily have to panic or force themselves upon you. And, yeah. you know, of all places to get it would be like a, a sort of a, it's, it, you know, California is not a county hospital, but it's a, it's, it serves a very indigent population and they have a, just a call system of doctors on call and uh, Pickett just happened to be on call. And I think he stayed beyond his time, I think. For yeah. You. He actually stayed for like 24 hours um, just to wait for me. And then unfortunately, in the end, you know, in that moment, he wasn't there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I also, I mean, there were so many factors playing into this, like I said, with my hemophilia, with the unknown hemophilia status of the, my son, my baby. Uh, so, uh, you know, the NICU team came and actually they were, they were telling me they had to take the baby to the NICU right after birth. Yeah. And I was telling them, no, you don't have to. I know what I'm doing. I have researched this. And I, you know, I've talked to so many people. You're not taking my baby unnecessarily to the NICU just to look at him. Um, and uh, I told him, I told her uh, that we were going to, we're going to watch him. If he's going to latch, if he's going to, you know, be normal, normally acting, everything's fine. We don't, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. confident I can tell if the baby is not okay or not. And she, she was, she told me basically, I wasn't able to, you know, see that in my own baby, that they had to monitor the baby. Um, but I was very, you not know, perfect. I was very uh, stern and told her, no, you're not taking my baby unnecessarily to the NICU right after birth. Mm -hmm. So um, that was a little more difficult to talk to them about that. But in the end, that was also respected, obviously. Um, it, right after birth, nobody did anything. I had my golden hour with him. Um, they didn't, you know, they, they let me be. Everyone went out and I had my time until later on they came to do all the measurements and all that. So that was incredible. And the really good news was? He does not have hemophilia <laughs> in the oh, end. Yeah. We did check the, yeah, we, we did get some cord blood and send it to a children's hospital right away. That evening, my doula took it uh, to the hospital 
um, and they did some the factor level testing, and the next day it came back that he doesn't have it in the end. That's that's wonderful news. <laughs> so that's classic Mendelian genetics. Mm-hmm. Is fifty percent are going to have it? Fifty percent are not going to have it. Yeah, and um, I'm assuming that you know we're three months into your postpartum period um, that you are feeling really different in this time. Yes, uh, it's unbelievable. I mean, first of all, it's uh, yeah. Our, he's he's making life my life very easy. Our second boy, Arlo, uh, he just slept ten hours straight last night. So, wow. <laughs> like, oh my god, is this even happening? <laughs> um, but no, it's also my. I think really with the C-section, I uh, for both my my firstborn and for myself, it really was post-traumatic, uh, you know, stress um, for both of us. Um, and then this time it just felt so different. I felt so much stronger and so much more emotionally stable. I have this feeling of really felt, you know, with love and, and being in love and, um, which was so difficult and different in the first time round. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been incredible. And I'm so happy that I did have my do over, even though I didn't have my home birth, you know, I still feel like. I was really well cared for with Dr. Stu and their team and they came for the postpartum visits. And um, so it wasn't like, you know, oh, now you go to the hospital. Now we, we don't we don't have anything to do with each other anymore. But it was there's still this well-rounded, um, you know, care. Yeah, that I if it was had. If it for COVID, then one of us would have been with you uh, most of your labor, too. Um, that, that's traditionally what home birth people and midwives do is if they transfer care, they don't abandon their patient at the door. They don't say. Bye. But now we're sort of we're sitting in a situation where we don't have you know we can't we can't come with you and uh, it's it's hard on the team. But you know your story, Eva, it's hard on you is yeah yeah well yeah, yeah we know that. But yeah. but it's your story is a story that brings joy every time I think about it and hear about it and I hear you hearing you talk about it, the perseverance that you had, the the um, the way you tell the story. Is, is heartwarming and I'm hoping that that the people that listen to our podcast are going to send us some comments and feel the same way and and uh, we're we're sending you a huge amount of gratitude and love. Thank you. Yeah, I just want everyone to know or all the moms out there to know or pregnant women that even though there you know you might have some other underlying factors or things that might sound difficult it doesn't mean that you can't try to have the birth that you want and um, you know there's always there are always some solutions that you can work with and um, just to trust in yourself and not yeah, having doctors tell you, oh, you can't do this or you can't do that because it's not their choice. It's your choice. So it's really important that you know what you want and stand the ground. And but of course, also, you know, have people around you who will support you. I think, you know, Dr. Stu, when I first met you and we had our first um, consultation, it was like, Oh my God! Finally, there's someone who knows exactly what I mean, and uh, I don't didn't even have to say what I you know what I was feeling or what I was thinking. He just said it himself, and it was completely in line with my thoughts about birth. I love it, and, and thank you for saying that. I mean, I, I appreciate that. It's it's easy it's easy to be me, okay, <laughs> and then it's easy to act like that. It really is. It's so much easier than being obtuse. But for your for your particular case, I had to do a lot of research too. I mean, I think you sent me an article um, on pregnancy and hemophilia. I did some research online. I also spoke to your uh, hematologist and to make sure that we knew everything. We had it all. I mean, like you said, we had it all set up to go and it wasn't that complicated. And we we were just going to have to give you some of the factor eight. Um, We were going to collect blood right afterwards to send to the children's hospital. We, you know, we had it all, all set to go and we figured... It doesn't, no matter what's going on, whether Arlo has hemophilia or not, your birth is your birth. And what's your best chance of having the birth that you want, especially with your first story? And also the best chance of success is going to be not in a hospital setting in general. Turns mm-hmm. out that it, it turns out that you had a great success in this, in this setting. And you know, it's, we, we probably need to wrap up. We're so glad that you um, came today, but it's interesting because we talk a lot about like um, the statistics in this country of like mortality and morbidity. I was listening to a lecture yesterday and that morbidity can also be the um, depression that you mm-hmm. had that isn't even acknowledged in, I know. in our statistics, you know, like 
the fact that for many, many months, you weren't really able to provide for yourself or for your family, that that was a effect of the care that happened during that. So um, these are the things that I really feel are so important for us to talk about. And I really appreciate your willingness to, to, you know, have the courage to speak out for yourself and for your family, but also to share that with other women, you know, exactly what you said, like, this is, this is about you. It's not about someone telling you what to do. Yeah, of course, I was worried too, that this time around, I would, you know, I would get postpartum depression again. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm so glad that it doesn't have to be. And, uh, but the, and also I knew because I was, go- I went through it, I knew what to look out for, what signs to look out for and to get help really quickly if I'm, you know, needed it or if, if I found out or felt that I wasn't able to cope with it. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story. Thank I'm you. Sorry. I didn't get to meet you before today, but I also <laughs> touched by all of that and for you advocating for yourself um, really warms my heart. And I'm glad that our listeners get to experience it with me. Thank you so much. <laughs> all right. Well, 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 I'll be in touch. Um, okay. <laughs> I'll be, I'll be, uh, I'll be, I'm forever grateful. Thanks for coming. Thank you on. so much. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Wow. Wow. Good story, huh? It's a great story. Yeah. And yeah. she tells it well. Yeah, I have some feelings about the pushing part, but I won't even get into that today. Well, I'll save it for another day. I'll save it for another day. Okay. Yeah. You I mean, I, I think I think we sort of know what your, your feelings are, but yeah, I mean, we can we can we we should end on a positive note. I I was going to do a, a dumb doctor se- uh, dogma segment today, mm-hmm. but I think that you know what? Why why not end on a positive note? Do you have any um, special bliss wisdom today? I was uh, going to talk about precipitous birth instructions, but we'll save it for another time. We'll do yeah, that. We we'll got do that. If somebody wants to know about um, uh, herbal remedies for gestational hypertension, so we'll put that on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, got a really interesting letter here. Um, that we didn't we didn't weren't a chance we weren't we didn't have a chance to get to today from from Lauren uh, in I think um, well she's a uh, she's a nurse midwife who's had a really different difficult course through her career of of things happening that that have turned her off and turned her on and turned her off and turned her on and I I want to do her I'm going to really get to her letter next time okay. because because there's some dumb doctor stuff in there that I that I really have to talk about okay um, I can just I can just end on sort of something really silly. Okay. Okay. Um, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, until until February 5th of 2021, <laughs> defined a vaccine as a preparation of killed microorganisms, living attenuated organisms, or living fully virulent organisms that is administered to produce an artificially, or artificially to increase immunity to a particular disease, right? On February 6th, Merriam-Webster changed the definition of vaccine to a preparation that is administered to stimulate the body's immune response against a specific infectious disease, or B, a preparation of genetic material such as a strand of synthesized messenger RNA that is used by the cells of the body to produce an antigenic substance such a fragment of the virus protein, spike protein. Okay, so (laughs) because this new so-called vaccine wasn't really a vaccine. Instead of calling it something like a biologic or something else, they just changed the definition of vaccine. Yeah, we've just changed the definition. So there you have it. So there you if it doesn't it. if it doesn't fit, if it you know it's not that you must acquit, it must you must change the definition That's of, right. of how things fit. It's yeah, if your dumbness <laughs> doesn't fit, just change the definition. That's correct. I'll I'll remember that. So I guess I'll say goodbye to you. So, uh, Bliss, it's lovely seeing you. you it's too. lovely being in your kitchen again. And until next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 